Welcome to the Reunion Church Podcast. We're a community following Jesus, seeking the good of our city. We hope today's teaching is both challenging and encouraging. If we could be a resource to you on your spiritual journey, don't hesitate to reach out via our website at reunionnyc.com. Well, welcome. Um, if you're new, we are glad you're here. Um, in the church calendar, the, the, the current season is Eastertide. And so Easter is a day where we celebrate um, that Christ is resurrected, God is not dead, um, but God is alive. And Easter is a day, but Easter is also a season in the church calendar. And you're thinking Eastertide, like, what, like what's Eastertide for? Well, Eastertide is about resurrection life. It's about the church actually embodying that type of um, resurrection life, or I like how Wendell Berry says it. He says, practice resurrection. Like, practice resurrection, that this is the work. Um, we had this chart made. It's a little bit small, so we're going to get these, um, this graphic blown up here. But this is the church calendar. The yellow circle uh, are the months of the year, and the church calendar actually begins late November at Advent, where we're anticipating um, the coming of Christ right? We're posturing ourselves like ancient Israel. We're posturing ourselves now. We're saying, God, come be in our midst. Uh, into um, th- That Advent season moves into Christmas, where Jesus has incarnated himself. God has come in the flesh to show us what it's like to be fully God, but also he shows us what it's like to be fully human. Uh, moving into Epiphany, uh, it's a season of revelation. Who is the person of Jesus? How did Jesus act when he was uh, in the flesh? Um, right there, um, March, April, kind of depending on the season, February, March, Uh, is Lent, where we're really understanding our mortality. We're understanding our sinfulness as people. We're understanding our our limitations and our brokenness. And then into Easter, this current season, where we're practicing that resurrection life, and then uh, Pentecost um, and the ascension of Jesus. And then this other, this sort of the rest of the time there is ordinary time. It's it's the story of the people of God. And so what we're going to do as a church during that um, is something around um, prayer, um, relationships, um, our faith, and, and our work. And so we're going to be looking at some of those things. But during this Easter season, well, what we want to do is actually explore our five values as a church. And my hope is that what these five things would actually be is that they would spark your imagination in your personal life, but also they would get you thinking communally about your life. And so here are five values. I'll just run through them really quick. We're spending two weeks per value. One, to give a little bit more depth and nuance to the value itself. Two, we want different voices to come at these. And so I'll be talking about one, and then somebody else from our community will be um, talking about the other. So um, hospitality, what does it really mean to be welcome? This is what we're going to talk about today. What does it mean to be um, invited in, seen? And how do we do that as a community? Um, In three weeks, we'll start talking about identity formation, that we're actually gathering to do something, right? We're actually gathering to be shaped and formed. And the desire is that we might grow and change and develop, right? We're not just um, gathered as a church to hang out, but that we're actually being shaped. Um, Justice and mercy, um, thinking about relief and reform. How do we do the second part of our mission statement? Um, To be a community following Jesus, seeking the good of our city, right? How do we actually posture ourselves um, to do that, to think outwardly? Covenant community, what does it mean to be joined together, right? Like, I'm I'm so prone to thinking of myself as an individual. What does it actually look like to come together? And that word covenant is really, really important. Um, What does it mean to be joined together to someone and to, to commit in that way? And then lastly, we'll talk about generosity. Um, The early church was known for its sacrifice of time and money, um, giving itself away, and that actually um, made the early church grow. It was so attractive to outsiders. So all of these values make up 
who we want to be as a church. I'll never forget a number of years ago, I had a mentor of mine. He came to me and he said, Russell, you have ideas and you have plans and you have, um, I, I think I get a sense of what you want to do, but don't neglect who you want to be, who you want to be. And that's what I'm mindful of at this, in this Easter season. Who do we want to be as a church? You know, when we started um, this church a, a year and a half ago, a little bit more, um, you know, we started gathering people. We had ideas and plans and um, charts, and, you know, we started Google Docs, and it was like getting official, and there was like journal entries and prayers and all of these things. And I think over time, what, what happens is there's sort of a natural creep of deadlines and tasks and fundraisings and calendars. Um, our office is in, a, in the WeWork um, around the corner, and we're like surrounded by startups and entrepreneurs, you know? And um, I've, I've said that to my neighbors before. I'm like, yeah, we're like a church startup, you know? Um, it's, it sounds kind of funny, but I think if, if that really is the focus, I just speak for myself here, but like we can become or I can become efficient or like proficient at like doing church. And all of a sudden I'm a church manager or like I'm a church entrepreneur or something like that. But actually I realized that the, vocation and the calling is actually in the name church plant and i think this is a really important word actually the the weather is changing right the trees are changing what do we need to do in the gardens we need to tend to them right we need to to cultivate and to care and i think that actually this is our work this this easter season is actually to cultivate the values where we aren't managing a system but actually we have the patience of a gardener tending and caring and praying and loving our neighbors and, and serving, and we're actually just thinking about it totally differently, right? The, the, the donationless spreadsheet is a way of aiding in our mission rather than the point, and we actually get to be a part of cultivating that. So that's sort of the heart um, behind this series, and today I want to spend our time talking about um, hospitality. So let me read our main text for today. It's one verse. It's not Mark, and it's not long, um, and so I'll read this one verse um, and I'll say, um, this is the word of the Lord, and you can say, thanks be um, to God. So today's teaching text comes from Paul in uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. So Lord, thank you. Um, God, this is your church, and I'm just so grateful uh, to be a part of it. And I just pray for us over the next 10 weeks that um, we would be learning about these values, that, God, that you, would be, um, that you would be at work in our hearts, that when we hear ideas, when we're in community group and we're talking about a scripture, that you would take that idea and plant it deep into our hearts, um, that it might change us personally, but that we would take that as a gift to other people to share it. And I just pray, God, um, in this particular season where um, we've seen a couple different seasons as a church, God, would you go before us right now? Would you be at work um, securing location, telling us to stay put, um, leading us and showing us where you want us to go, who you want us to be? And I pray, God, that we would be perfectly in step with your spirit. And so this morning, as we open your word, what we have not, would you give us? What we are not, would you make us? And what we know not, would you teach us? We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so this is our first value, hospitality. And um, in the original uh, Greek here in the New Testament, the word hospitality is actually a combination of two words. 
um, philos, uh, love. You're thinking about, um, think about the word Philadelphia, the, the city of brotherly love. In the Greek, there are, um, I, I think there's seven words uh, for love. This one is about the love of a friend. And then the other word is xenos, or is stranger, or, or foreigner, and probably the easiest way to think about this is like xenophobia, right? The fear or the prejudice against one from another country, and that word xeno is like stranger or foreigner, or maybe the, the best way to think about it would just be the other, the other, right? Somebody other than myself, somebody other than my experience, somebody other than my world. And so the word hospitality put together literally just means love of the stranger. And there are repeated commands in the Bible to show hospitality. Um, Paul writes in Romans 12, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. And that um, word practice here in, in, in Romans 12 is actually the, um, the word pursue. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go after. I want you to seek. I want you to pursue this type of care for others. And notice um, with this value, I love that it's um, hands-on and it, it, it's tangible. This is, this is actually how we do it. Um, the next verse here, um, Hebrews chapter 13, is so fun. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitalities to angels without knowing, right? Now, culturally, and we'll just leave this up for a second, culturally, when we think about hospitality, we sort of uh, dumbed it down to industry, right? Like um, the, the food and beverage industry, hotel, uh, that's sort of like the hospitality industry. And in some ways, um, the Bible can get around some of that in a tangible sense. This is actually how we care for other people. This is how we exist in relationship with other people. But the word entertaining is actually not present when you think about this idea of biblical hospitality. But the word love is. And so hospitality in that tangible sense could mean sharing your home, sharing food, sharing your resources as a, as a means of welcoming a, a stranger or a new, a new friend. And the prophets in the Old Testament actually took this further. And they actually wanted to say, who is it that we're actually sh supposed to show hospitality to? And if you put all the prophets together, basically what they do is they give clarity to who the stranger is, or the, the Hebrew word um, is like sojourner. And so the stranger was, a, was one that was going to be a part of a, a vulnerable category. The prophets named these five the poor, the sick, orphans and widows, foreigners or sojourners, and the fifth one was prison captives. And so the prophets came along and said, special care and welcome is actually um, done to these groups that actually constitutes true hospitality, right? Not someone who's necessarily your friend or someone who you know, but it's actually to this group, the stranger. Here's what Zechariah the prophet says. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. And then notice this word here. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. And basically, the, the, the word oppression there is an antonym for, for the word hospitality. And then this is Exodus here, and I think this is actually a really helpful way to understand sort of the opposite of hospitality. Do not oppress a foreigner. Um, you yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in, in Egypt. And so um, he's, here's what the writer is saying. You know what it's like to be out. You know what it's actually like to not be included. You know what it's like to be out on the fringes, right? You know what it's like to be in a place where 
these are, these are, this is not my place. This is not my people. And it's deeper than that in this passage. And I really I want to make sure that I'm, I'm acknowledging this. That the people of Israel here are in, um, in slavery, subject to slavery, under the oppression of, of, of Pharaoh. And I don't want to miss that level of oppression here in, in the text. But that, that word sojourner, I think, is, is so important. Do not oppress a foreigner, or some translations use that word sojourner. It's a, a person who's a temporary dweller. A, a newcomer with relatively no rights, right? And in some sense, you know, I guess we see the extreme of that. I mean, this, this um, donation drive that we want to do, like I know it's like so immediate and so quick, but it's exactly that, right? I, I see the oppression, like bust into the city. It's so dark. It's so sad. And then it's like we can, we can be a part of, of, of uh, providing in hospitality something, again, um, you know, to, to provide in that way. And we can also acknowledge ways in which we felt like an outsider, right? Ways in which we weren't included. We were on the fringes. And, or, you know, you, you came in this room for the first time, and it's like, will I meet somebody like me, right? It's, it's generally sort of the desire. And so hospitality is to welcome or to love the, the stranger, and sort of the polar opposite of that is a form of oppression. Um, Henry Nouwen, um, who's a great Catholic writer and thinker, he wrote a book called Reaching Out, and he actually talked about um, the opposite of hospitality is hostility. And I thought this was really, really actually um, helpful. He said that we're either, either moving towards hospitality, we're moving towards welcome, we're moving towards care, being received and re, um, receiving others, or we're actually moving towards hostility, which is like a skepticism of the other or a fear. And I'd want to put, um, I want to put this sort of spectrum up here um, that my slide went crazy. Um, those, are, um, those are distant from each other. They're supposed to be on the opposite side. I really got to the edges there, so that's funny. Um, and so I want to think about it this way. Um, I was, um, I, I, I think I sort of um, had skepticism and fear and mistrust sort of baked into me. I was thinking about this this week. I am the son of a police officer and a lawyer, right? And so skepticism and um, questioning of other people were sort of baked into me. I'll never forget um, third, fourth grade, um, we moved from the center of Phoenix. Um, my dad moved us into the suburbs. And at the time, it made a lot of sense because my dad was actually um, an undercover DEA agent, like, um, like drug enforcement agent. So like undercover agent in that time. And my parents, they still sort of do this, which drives me crazy. They, they don't conceal the world. Like the news is always on. It's always like Dateline, unsolved mysteries. And so, you know, here I am like eight, nine, ten years old. And it's like, watching Unsolved Mysteries with Dad, you know? My parents would, would come home, and they would talk about work a lot. And so, you know, here I am sort of engrossed in their world, and I'm like, my sisters and I are listening to what you have to say. You know, my dad is telling stories about people he arrested. Um, I'll never forget, um, he, he, he has so many crazy stories. Um, but I'll, I'll never forget, I must have been in fourth or fifth grade, and he, he told me a story about how he arrested someone, and he said, um, I don't know why he told me this. He said, when I get out of here, I'm going to come find you. And he tells me this story as a young kid. <laughs> and so we have this nice house. Um, and my dad, when we were moving to the house, um, he said to me, he said, hey, I want you to have your own space in the house. And so all the bedrooms are upstairs, but for one, I want you to have that. And th that was very nice. But then, you know, when I'm, I'm such a, a, a young kid, I'm sitting in the room, and I'll never forget looking up out my window in the blinds and just thinking to myself, what if someone 
what if that came to fruition? Like, what if someone came and, and hurt me? What if someone came and kidnapped me, you know? I'm like watching the, the world unfold, and it's, it's honestly really sad looking back that I had that much fear as a kid. Um, but I think what that actually did, or it's possible that it actually shaped a bit of mistrust that I have towards, towards other people. And I, I think for us, as we, you know, we live in this post-9-11 world. We live in this society where fear really um, drives the, the, um, the public landscape. And it's real. I don't want to negate that this morning, right? This, this morning, Rose and I had the, the news on, and it was like, girl, kidnap. I'm like running over to like silence it, you know, so my four-year-old doesn't, you know, catch, you know, the news so, so early. And I don't want to mitigate the, the, the reality that safety, particularly in a city like ours, is important. And, and it's very real, and we should be cautious in that way, and we should be mindful. This is not to minimize our well-being. In fact, maybe the very opposite, I could say safety is a form of hospitality, right? It's a way of welcome and care. But I also want to acknowledge that fear has made our social way very tense, right? This is a reality that we live in, right? We shouldn't have to live in a world where, you know, we, we can't have our headphones on in the subway, but we do live in that world. How does that affect how we see other people? How does that affect how we receive other people? Try to, um, the ways in which we try to understand um, the other, right? How is it that we can actually welcome if fear is so pervasive, if we naturally um, mistrust? And now in, now in his book actually really helps understand how churches can be these places of safety and of welcome. And I wanna, I wanna look at this really quickly, these charts here. Here's a church. Um, characterized by both of these things. Man, my slides got really messed up. All right, so that side is hostility, and this side is hospitality, but the uh, inner, uh, the checkboxes stayed put. So um, a, a, a church marked by this um, hostility is impatient. It's frustrated. Look at this word, busy. Let's say that like 10 times. Busy, right? Rushed, fearful passive and then aggressive, but a church that actually has characteristics of hospitality is receptive. It's safe. There's safe boundaries. There's questions, right? Questions are allowed. Let's ask lots of questions and let's be okay with disagreement in that, right? It's inviting openness while honoring uniqueness, right? So there's just, maybe the best way to describe it is a, a church that's hospitable has a lot of space, right? Uh, what about hostility? Runs from pain and death, right? I can't, I can't handle that. It's, it's too much. But a church that's hospitable touches pain and death with compassion. How, does it, how is it able to do that? There's time and there's space to be able to do that. Um, uh, there's a couple more here on the next slide. Um, uh, hostility sees new people as a danger to the way we are, or listen to this, or to be used for church needs, right? You can breathe, you can serve, right? Like we're going to plug you in right away, okay? And, 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 and there's purpose, actually, in showing up and saying, I have capacity to give, and I'm, I'm ready to do that. But a church that's hostile sees new people say, I don't know if, I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if that person would, would quite fit in with this community group, right? Hospitality sees the church as a safe place where people might find hope and be changed. And don't be scared by that, that idea, um, like, to be changed, right? The church just wants to change me. Well, I... We'll talk about this with identity formation in a couple of weeks, but like we should be seeking to change. We should, we should be seeking growth. And then in this hostile environment, it lacks wisdom in managing disagreement and conflict. 
This is something you learn over time. If you've been a part of a church for any amount of time, you've probably faced disagreement. You've probably faced conflict, a lot of cultures clashing, right? But a a hospitable environment is both receptive to confrontation and it's actually learned wisdom in how to navigate it. We're using our ears a lot more than we're using our mouths, right? And so one of the things I want to acknowledge, you, you read this and you think, well, this, is, this actually applies not just to the church. This applies to my workplace. This uh, uh, applies to my school. This applies to the, the gym or the club that, that, I've, that I've joined. We're actually wondering in these spaces, am I welcome? Will I meet someone? Um, is it an environment where I can um, feel safe in? So I, I think that so often I'm, I'm prone, you know, being a part of a church, it's like we just evaluate the church. But actually every environment should be a place of welcome where there's a curiosity, Right? The church should be the place, though, like primarily where everyone is welcome. And I know this is difficult, but actually it's difficult because what are we doing in the church? We're bringing our whole selves, right, our, our history, our baggage, our whole person, our family of origin. We're bringing all of that, and then you're bringing other people into that. It becomes very complex and very chaotic. But will the church actually be a place where our life is welcome? where our griefs are, um, are, you know, our, our losses and our griefs are welcome, our brokenness, that can actually exist without fear or judgment. And here's how Nouwen ended his book. I sort of adapted that, but here's how he said it. In a world full of strangers, estranged from their own past, culture, and country, from their neighbors, friends, and family, from their deepest self and their God, we witness a painful search for a hospitable place where life can be lived without fear and where community can be found. That's the goal, right? Like, if you could just screenshot that, that's like, that's the deep heart desire that we have. It's like, is there a place where I can exist as my true and deepest self? And I love how in the top part, he includes the self, right? It's like, that's the thing that I'm trying to figure out and long for. And then here's the bottom. Hospitality, therefore, means primarily the creation of free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them a space where change can take place. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them a space where the change can take place. This is what we so desperately need. We actually need space, to, to like a holding space to be welcomed, to be cared for, to be known, to be seen, to be understood. And that's the starting place. And actually, um, this is why this is our first value as a church. This is what should actually lead. Um, in, in John chapter 1, I think it's verse 14, it says Jesus came and um, he came with grace and he came with truth. Both things are really, really important, right? But Jesus said he, he came with grace and he came with truth. And if I put a word on both of these values, the word that goes with hospitality is the word grace, right? Unmerited favor. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You were welcomed. And the second word is our, our, our value is identity formation. What is it? It's that there's actually a way. There's a truth that actually needs to be told that forms and shapes us as people. There's holding space in hospitality, right? We're not trying to change people here, but along the way, yeah, we want to change. We want to grow. There's a, there's a way of formation there. And so what do we do when we're fearful of others? What do we do in an environment where, where we're hurried all the time, where there's no space or time for other people? What, what have we done? We've choked out all the free space. Well, what kind of church do we want to be? Romans 15, 7, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We want to be the church that welcomes 
one another. So how do we create this space? What, like, how do we create a space where um, welcome is actually possible? And what I want to do with the rest of our time here is I want to give you sort of like one personal tangible tool and then like one corporate one to help us think as a church about how we actually um, do this. They're pretty universal truths. So if like you could take this into your workplace, it's fine. I probably stole it from someone else too. So you could steal it from me. So if we really want to have this type of welcome, the first thing we need to do is we need to see other people as subjects and not objects. Subjects, not objects. What do I mean by this? What does the text say? The text says, welcome who? One another. The other, right? People. What are people? People are subjects, individuals whom God loves. They're not objects for us to undermine, generalize, manage, or group together, right? But actually what we believe about people is that they're um, um, foundationally worthy, right? People are foundationally worthy, everyone, even the person that yelled at you this week, right, on the sidewalk, okay? They're worthy, created in the image of God, regardless of race, class, or gender, and gender. And people should not be minimized. They shouldn't be generalized. They shouldn't be minim- um, undermined or stereotyped, because why? Every person is a story with a rich history, with um, deep potential, strengths, weaknesses, and actually this should be our heartbeat is that we see people as subjects created by God, loved by God, and um, that's primarily how we should um, see them. I was thinking about marketing this week. Much of modern marketing relies on a a technique of objectification, right? So um, uh, the algorithm, you think about Instagram, right? Um, The algorithm begins to identify, are you in a relationship or not? right? Who are you interacting with? What is your stage of life? Um, Then it goes to your interests. What type of uh, engagement do you already have on specific posts, right? How often are you on the app? And once it's sort of combined all this information and stolen your browser history, what it begins to do is target you, right? With ads. You ever get an ad and you think, why did I get that? That has nothing to do with me, right? It's because you've been objectified and wrongly put in a box, right? You, you, your, your behavior patterns have been guessed, um, and it's basically saying, this is what we think that you will like, and most of the time, they crush it, right? They, they, they got you, right? But the thing is, is it's possible that we actually do this in our lives too, right? When we're um, seeking a promotion at work, right? It's, or or, or we're, we're thinking about our, our coworkers. How can this person help me get ahead? Right? We don't actually necessarily get the promotion. That's great. Get, get the, the pay increase. That's awesome. But in the process, how is it that we're viewing the people around us? Are they objects to serve us? Or, or are they actually subjects of people whom God loves on the street or on the train? Right? Oftentimes, we, we, go, we can go a whole commute without actually acknowledging the people around us. And I understand. So it can be very overwhelming at times. Um, an intense example of this is pornography. Pornography is a way of objectifying a person. It's saying this person is here and exists to please me. This is the dark side of, of, of objectifying someone rather than seeing someone as a subject whom God loves. And it should be very, very clear here. God always sees us first as subjects before objects. Right? I think if we think about that and we read the Bible, we say, wow, God really does love us. God really does care and he treats us this way. So that's the sort of personal lens, subjects, not objects. What about a larger church lens? And I want to give us this picture here. Um, This is um, called, and my slide made it together. 
This is called bounded or centered sets. And so this is a bounded set, and um, in a bounded set, there's a clear delineation who's in and who's out, right? You've been to the party before, and you thought, I get who's on the inside circle of this party, and I get who's on the outside, right? Like, you, you've been to that party before, or you went to high school, so you understand this, right? This is, this is high school embodied right here, okay? And so in a, in a bounded set, you define what it means to be in, right? And you want to get there or you want to stay there, right? You want to be on the in crowd. And then what do you do? You determine who has self-identified as being in so that it's a clear delineation. I know what it's like to be on the inner circle of this organization, of this group, of this thing, whatever it is. What is the goal? Help the in people stay in, in a bounded set. And then uh, this is the important part. It's not all that bad, actually. What, what's the goal in this, in this type of environment? To get the out people on the inside, right? Come serve, come join a community group, get on the inside, you're gonna be cool. Like, we're gonna be a part of this whole thing, right? The, help the out get in, right? Not, not, a, not a terrible goal, but one of the things that you should acknowledge here is that there's a, a, a type of hi hierarchy, right? You're out or you're in. There's a, there's a hierarchy involved. Maybe you've experienced this in church before, right? Clicks, you forgot to get the invite, right? And this is, this is very real, right? But that's actually why we're doing this series, is actually we want to fight this type of thinking. Here's something that I think is both more realistic and um, it's more helpful. So this is called a centered set. A centered set. Um, and I really think that if, if you read the Gospels, I think this is the type of life that Jesus modeled. It puts Christ in the center. It's removing some of the barriers and, and the walls. It's a little more fuzzy, let's, let's be honest. But it's understanding that each person is on a spiritual journey and as a church, we would say, wow, we want people to move closer to Jesus. We want people to find their identity in Jesus. We, we want them to draw closer to Jesus. But also, I'm, I want to be realistic as a pastor and as a person to say, people are heading in different directions. I don't control people, right? I, I think one of the things that, you know, I think Brandon and I were talking about this recently is like crafting environments where people can be drawn closer to Jesus. Like th that in some way is the worship experience, Right? But it's realistic. Look at the couple down below. It's like they're kind of heading different directions, right? That, that's, that's life, right? But as a church, we want to be drawing people closer to Jesus, and that would be sort of the, the centered set. And it, it's, it, again, it's a little more gray. It's a little bit more fuzzy, but I think it helps us understand we don't want to draw thick lines to say, here's who's in and, and who's out, but actually all of us on a journey and we're being drawn together towards Jesus. Um, long before our hospitality industry, I was reading this week, I was geeking out about um, monasteries. Um, and monasteries served as um, stopping places uh, for um, travelers, um, for safety. In fact, many monasteries were actually situated along um, main routes uh, for people to come and to experience welcome. Welcome first, right? You don't show up at the monastery and say, here's the four times for prayer today. You show up at the monastery and you hear, here's a plate of food, here's a bed, and you're welcome. Um, Karen Maines is a spiritual director. She says, the essence of hospitality is a heart open to God with room prepared for the guestness of the Holy Spirit that welcomes the presence of Christ. That is what we share with those to whom we open our door. We give them him. And so here's the last part. What really is hospitality? If we're going to take like the, the whole Bible view of this idea of hospitality, and it's actually in our passage, but it's actually in the order of the passage. 
Romans 15, 7. Therefore, welcome one another. Why? How? How do we, how do, we do that? As Christ has welcomed you. How, how should we welcome um, one another? We should welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us, right? The order mattered. Do you really believe that Christ loves you? Have you really grasped the gospel truth that Jesus died for you? Do you really believe that um, Christ is who he says he is and he's going to do all the things that he's promised to do? If, if you would say yes to that, then there's a natural actually understanding about how you've been welcomed. There's a natural understanding about how you've been accepted despite yourself. And guess what happens? Your motivation starts to shift. Your heart starts to change. You start to become warm to others because you say, I know I wasn't worthy to be on the in crowd, but Jesus died for me and brought me in, right? And when you really believe that Christ has welcomed you, it begins to seep into your heart and you say, I actually know now that I can do that for others. I don't have to waste all my resources on myself, but I can actually give. My heart has been changed. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of the, the prodigal son, right? It's this incredible story of um, uh, God welcoming back his people, right? There's a runaway son, wrecked his life, squandered all the money his father gave him, and in his life, what happens is he, he hits rock bottom. What does the father do when he sees his son coming back? His son is ready to come back and to be his father's servant, and the father looks out in the distance and runs, meets his son, saying, get a robe. I don't want my son to ever feel like this again. Get the ring. Get him ready. Kill the calf. Let's have a feast. Let's party. Yes, he ruined his life. Yes, he, he did that, but he's alive. Now let's eat and let's celebrate. My son who was lost has been found. Right? The father didn't actually have to do that. He could have said, you know what? Come back in. We're going we're gonna to fix you up. You're going to try harder. You're going to fix yourself in my house. You're going to be my servant. You're going to work and I'll pay you, you're going to work back into my house. But no, it's true hospitality modeled. Grace, forgiveness from the Father. You were dead, but now you've come home. Let's eat. And I think that's actually what we really find in hospitality is we're actually learning about grace. We're actually learning about God to understand the welcome of God. And, and each week, we're really going to try and do this, but how does this value actually relate to the gospel? How does, it, how does the value actually um, help us understand this gospel, this good news, that while we didn't deserve it, while it was unmerited, Christ came, died for us, and today we learn that in hospitality, we're welcomed back. And so um, maybe I would just um, give like a little bit of a challenge inside of this um, here today. And maybe you're already thinking, like, this is how I want to like integrate this into my, um, you know, my community group or here on Sunday morning or the way I think about how I want to talk to my coworker. But here's like two ways. Um, one is an offer of hospitality, an, an offer of welcome. We're running our Alpha course um, on Thursday nights, and we actually delayed it one week because I really wanted to give this challenge. Um, we have nine people signed up. I'm really excited about this environment that we're creating. Are you spiritually curious? Do you have a friend that's spiritually curious? Um, questions about life? What we're actually doing in Alpha is what I talked about today. There's no agenda. We're creating space. We're just trying to create a hospitable environment where we can host discussion. We're not going to be arguing apologetics or trying to change people's mind. It is that creating space place. Um, and I would just say this. If you're interested or you know someone that is, um, is interested, come three times. Come three times. If you don't finish, that's fine. We won't judge you that much. Um, we'd really love to, um, to have you in that, in that space. I know you'll enjoy the discussion and the people, and of course, we're feeding you, so that doesn't hurt either. Um, but that's a, a hospitable environment that's open to you, and that's sort of organized. 
Um, what about the organic for you this morning? What resources are at your disposal for hospitality? Or maybe the, the, the easier way to say it is like, what do you have and how can you love other people with what you have? Maybe um, you have a physical resource. Maybe you have uh, a, a nice apartment. It doesn't need to be big or fancy. Um, some of my favorite dinners that I've ever had are in an apartment that's 400 square feet. Like the depth of conversation and the people, it's warm. What resources do you have? Do you have time? Time is a wonderful resource in our city. Are you good at having conversation? Are you good at listening to other people? We need more people around us that listen. Are you good at um, remembering or celebrating milestones? I love people that remember things like this and that um, that's a, a huge way of hospitality. Um, uh, what do you have and, and how can you love? And I don't know what that is for you this morning, but I would challenge you to walk away and to say, how can I actually put that into play? That's a gift that either God has given me, that's a resources that I've accumulated along the way. What do you have and how can you love. So what we're going to do um, now is we're going to um, remember that type of welcome. And so I'm going to pray, um, but let's stand um, together. We're going to remember that type of welcome um, through communion. And so our servers are going to come up while I pray. I um, mean, you can come get the elements. I'll, I'll explain here. So Lord, I love you. And Father, I thank you for um, I thank you for your grace this morning. I think, um, I think my heart is drawn towards the type of welcome you embody through your Son and the type of ways through your Holy Spirit speaks to us in our hearts. And I'm mindful now as we come to the communion table um, of this prodigal son story that so often I want to do things on my own. So often I, I waste the things that you've given me as a gift but that you're calling me back to you, that you're calling us back to you as a people, that we don't actually have to do that alone, that we don't actually um, have to figure out how to welcome and care on our own, but we get to do it together. And so I pray now as we come to the table and we take the bread and the cup that we would be reminded of your rich and deep love for us, that we would be drawn closer to you, that our, um, that our hearts would actually sing a new song today to you, and that we would love you more and understand you deeper. Thank you for the gift of communion as a tangible reminder of this. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray.